0: Welcome back, More Than That family. We're keeping the conversation going with part two of our very special Juneteenth episodes. And we wanna thank our sponsor Chevrolet for coming along for the ride. Learn how they're driving real change for the black community at change.newsone.com. It's just like, I don't need you to tell me that this holiday is important enough for it to be celebrated. You know what I mean? It, would, it We didn't need you to give that power. Like, it was already there. The idea of African-American history is its a little bothersome to me, right? It's American history, period. And it does my country no good for you to teach American history just to some Americans and then to lead other Americans to believe a whole different version of history. I see that civil rights movement as this ever-reaching vine and it's helping to reshape and remold um, the foundation of this country. And before we really see like the, the, the perfection that it's meant to create, um, it'll probably take some time. But that's why it resonates with me, because of how I kind of envision it as this ever-reaching vine.
1: I am happy to join with you today in what will go down in history as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. I question America is this America the land of the free and the home of the brave? This is a mindset. We're going to have freedom on our mind. We're going to have equal justice on our mind. So when we recognize the absence of freedom, we can point it out and speak up.
0: In every era, we continue to fight tooth and nail for freedom. And we do it by relying on each other. Activist and community organizer and Say You Fought helps us to revive our spirit by showing us how to put action in place of doubt. And Dr. Ben Chavez has been in that fight his entire life. You know, we are honored that you could be with us today, knowing that it has personally affected you, especially with the loss of your friend in Buffalo. So I wanted to start with how are you feeling? How are you doing? How's your soul right now? How's your spirit feeling right now, Dr. Ben?
1: Thank you, uh, Gia. We had a friend on for Catherine Massey. She was 72 years old. She bleed in the community. And unfortunately, she was in that supermarket uh, when this mad person, when this white supremacist just gunned her down. And of course, now the nation is mourning the loss of 19 children being killed in Texas by another 18-year-old mad person. America, here we are again. This is not a new nightmare. It is a recurring one.
2: An 18-year-old white male has been arrested and charged with first-degree murder for a mass shooting at a supermarket in Buffalo, New York, in what authorities called an act of racially motivated violent extremism.
0: Authorities in Tulsa, Oklahoma, say a gunman killed at least four people at this medical building and wounded several others. The shooting in Uvalde, Texas yesterday was the deadliest attack at a U.S. grade school since the Sandy Hook massacre in Connecticut nearly 10 years ago now.
1: Family after family having nowhere to go with their grief. We'll get into a political conversation later, but is this the way we're supposed to live? These shootings, this gun violence, has become epidemic and, you know, endemic to uh, American society. And I think we have to do something about ending uh, this kind of violence, ending this kind of racism, but, You know, there's a saying in the movement, allude to continuity, the struggle continues. And to me, every uh, Juneteenth, when the month of June comes around uh, each year, people should be assessing uh, how have I improved the quality of life of my community? What have I contributed to over the last 12 months? So when we celebrate Juneteenth, we're not just celebrating the past, but we're applying the legacy of the past of how we've changed the present to reshape a better future. Mm. That way, our celebration, I tell brothers and sisters who like to party, I like to party, but I'm going to have something to party about. Mm.
0: What was the first moment where you realized that movements were happening?
1: Actually, it was in August of 1963 at the March on Washington. I was young. Uh, I was there. When I heard Dr. King make that speech, I have a dream speech, to me, that was a turning point. Not only to hear Dr. King speak, but the response to his speech, everybody left the march on Washington knew we got homework to do. And a lot of the civil rights movement, the first sit-in started in 1960 in Greensboro with HBCU students sitting in protesting uh, racial segregation. I was all involved in it. I think I got my first will for tear gas when I was 15. And then I, I sort of grew up. And then when Dr. King was killed in 1968, I was finishing up my chemistry degree at the University of North Carolina Charlotte, I had a decision to make. Was I going into the library to be a research chemist? Or was I going back to school to study ministry to follow in Dr. King's footsteps? I decided the latter, which led me famously to Wilmington, North Carolina in the 1970s. I, I make a long story short, I was one of the Wilmington 10, 10 political prisoners. I was only 23 years old. The others were 16, 17, 18 year old black high school students, the 10 of us Gia was sentenced to 282 years in prison in 1972 because we dared to raise our fists. Whoa. While I spent most of the 1970s unjustly incarcerated, I did not let that break my spirit.
0: I see a lot of my friends who are using their platforms for more to open up these conversations. They're weary and tired. How do you balance protecting, like, your joy and your spirit and continuing the fight?
1: Well, listen, I I think... Becoming weary means that you've been working. You know, uh, I've never heard anybody become weary who's lazy. But the thing is, our weariness, our tiredness, our anger, our pain, sometimes we're just disgusted. We have to channel all these emotions into something that's positive, into something that's constructive. We don't let these uh, negative things make us become negative. You know, violence begets violence. Uh, Love begets love. And there's a big, you know, gap between love and hate. Most people are in the middle. So what do we do? We can't take the progress that we made. Somebody died to give us the right to vote. Somebody went to jail to give us the right to vote. And and I think when people say, well, my vote doesn't count, and, uh, you know, it's it's, it's no use of voting because once people get elected, they really don't represent the community. No, we can't take that attitude. We cannot take for granted where we are. And uh, when people try to say, well, you know, we've made enough progress, let's relax. No, you have to protect the progress that we've made by staying engaged, by staying focused. If somebody uh, says, well, I, I know I have a Black consciousness, oh, that's great. But don't put a period on it. Consciousness is not something that is static. It's something that evolves. Is something that we continue to reach out to. Even in my age, I still consider myself a student of the movement. I still try to learn so we can continue to organize, continue to mobilize, and continue to win victories.
0: So how do we become a part of movements or ways to create lasting change uh, for this moment and future generations?
1: It's hard to change reality in isolation. One of the things we learned from COVID, it was a global pandemic. So it's just not about solving COVID in one city or one nation or one continent. If you don't solve it all over the world, it's gonna come back. And I think we live much more in a global village now, uh, Gia. And so what happens to one part of the world will impact the quality of life of another part of the world. But also I think in in terms of um, the pendulum of history, I'm, I'm sort of an optimist. Over the last six to seven years, I've seen us make more progress than we've suffered defeats. And sometimes if you don't lift up your moments of victory, lift up your moments of progress, you may think, oh, wow, it's just no need of being involved in these movements, being involved in these struggles, because we never gained. I like to win. I, I tell people all the time, I am not even, I don't like to struggle just to struggle. I want to struggle to win. Mm,
0: I love that. I don't want to struggle just to struggle. I want
1: to struggle to win.
0: How are freedom and education connected uh, in your opinion
1: well in my opinion i think uh, education is the threshold uh to acquiring freedom we need to study the history of movements for change you know because we can learn from uh the successes and from the failures of other attempts to organize for social change particularly in america but we also should look at other liberation movements in Africa and Latin America and the Caribbean and learn from those also. Secondly, I really think we should invest much more uh, K through 12 with our young people. And then thirdly, even though I'm a scientist, I understand the importance of science. I also know the importance of the cultural arts or by the portrait that they utter or by the paintings that they paint. And some would say the graffiti that they put up. I, I just think that, It all should come together. So yes, there's a direct correlation between one's education and one's ability not only to fight for freedom, but one's ability to actually attain freedom, justice, and equality.
0: We educate to elevate. First, out of necessity to stake a claim, to make a name for ourselves. Now we educate to honor our history out of a drive for more, a desire for better, where our resilience comes from rest, not circumstance, where rest is a regular thing, not a once in a while joy, where joy is constant and not only on Juneteenth. We go beyond the boundaries of our ancestors' wildest dreams and inspire the next era of Black excellence to change the course of history for the better. Learn how Chevrolet is creating space for real talk that drives real change at change.news1.com And say, thank you so much for being here today. I'm such a fan of who you are and the work that you do with the New Georgia Project, but uh-huh. just ready to dive into this conversation because go. I just, the light Coming from your smiles, <laughs> just making me so happy today. So for those of us who need a, an introduction to who Nse Ufot is, how do you um, introduce who you are and what you do?
2: Yeah, so I'm Nse Ufot, CEO of the New Georgia Project. Uh, we're probably best known for having registered over 600,000 young people and people of color to vote in all 159 of Georgia's counties. And as someone who helped turn Georgia blue,
0: like how do you even, you guys made history. What does it feel like to make history in this time when so much madness is happening, but on the other side, you're still able to create change?
2: It feels amazing. I, we've, I think we feel powerful. I think that so much of what is happening, so much of the sort of the enemies of progress, so much of it about is making us feel powerless to do anything about what's happening in the world around us.
0: But the reality is when you break democracy for anyone, you break it for everyone. And it may seem like a small thing restricting who has access to the right to vote. But when we look at the array of laws that are being proposed and passed, we are seeing that they are anti-voter. They're limiting access to the right to vote. And we're seeing a subversion
1: of democracy. Well, here is the God's truth about January 6, 2021. Close your eyes. Go back to that day. What do you see? Rioters rampaging, waving for the first time inside this Capitol. Confederate flag that symbolized the cause to destroy America.
0: At the same time, there was so much chaos unfolding at the Capitol today. We saw a shift of power in the U.S. Senate after the vote in the state of Georgia.
2: Former gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams has made Black voter turnout her focus. There are issues that people care about. And we work to connect those issues to the power of the vote. And here's why. Because, you know, you don't register 600,000 Black people in Georgia by sitting in front of a Walmart every Saturday. I know that if I can ignore your mall Santa, your Girl Scouts, and your Boy Scouts, uh, because I got stuff to do, then people can definitely ignore people trying to register you to vote. Right? And so thinking strategically about how we make this a part of the culture, how we make this a part of of what it means to be a Georgian, what it means to be an American. And we're constantly doing that. We're constantly studying. We're constantly asking questions. The way that we train our organizers is that you have twice as many ears as you do mouths. So we should be listening twice as much as we talk, right? When you are knocking on somebody's door, listen, they got something to say. They're going to tell you what their hopes are, what their fears are, what their ambitions are for themselves, for their families, for their communities. That's the thing that will get somebody up off of their and in the streets. And that's the thing that we need to make sure that we're connected to the power of the vote. Okay, here's my hot take for the day. I actually don't care about voting. I really don't. Mm. I don't care. And here's why. Voting is simply a tool. It's a Mm. tool that we use to build the America, to build the communities that we want to live in, that our families want to live in. If there was another way for us to get the minimum wage raised, we would do that. Right. Like if there was another way to make sure that cops stop killing other people, if there's another way to stop school shootings, we would do that. And I think what I would tell your audience and listeners is, you know, I'm a loner, like a low-key kind of an introvert naturally, but I do believe in organization. Right. So, you know, I'm a church girl raised in the South. Uh you know, I think about the Georgia Mass Choir and mm. like the reason that they can hold a note so long and so powerfully is that each individual vocalist is holding their note and doing their part. Find a political home. There are people who share your values, who care deeply about the same things that you do and are willing to mob up, squad up and work on those issues. What's your thought on
0: Juneteenth? First, when did you find out about it and did you grow up celebrating it? Or did you uh, recently start to celebrate it as more people became aware of its? It's value and importance.
2: Um, so, ooh, um, don't shame me, y'all. Don't roast me for this. But so I learned about Juneteenth, I think, probably in school and, like, recognized mm-hmm. and understood that after the Emancipation Proclamation, it took several years uh, for Black people to know that they were free. Um, but I grew up thinking about Juneteenth as a time where it was, like, Black people turning up in Galveston, Texas. Mm-hmm. And like and, and me and my homegirls from college went on a road trip because there might be some cute boys out there. <laughs> we all right. start somewhere. We all start somewhere. So that's how I thought about it. Um and then, you know, the summer of 2020 hit and it felt like a real opportunity and while people were starting to have actually real policy conversations about what the path forward was for reparations. And so, mm. while, you know, again, I will note that We were asking for police reform and asking for folks to stop killing us and asking for a a, a serious conversation about reparations and a path forward to that. And what we got was Juneteenth as a federal holiday. But I won't knock it because here's why. It is a a communication of values, right? Mm -hmm. It's a communication of ambition. It is a recognition that this country owes an extraordinary debt to enslaved people and their descendants, right? Mm -hmm. It is a recognition that we have not had that reckoning yet and that it still is to come and so that's why I'm not mad at it and that's why I'm excited about how we're gonna commemorate it this year
0: so what is Juneteenth? The next step is um, in my opinion to take action so we need to start planning so that we can take action Um, Because once you know better, right, you do better. So it's all about building on the conversations that our ancestors laid down, that our grandparents,
2: our mothers laid down, fathers laid down. It's time to put
0: some movement behind all of that talk. It's time to organize. It's time for people to act on what they say. It's a waste of knowledge, a waste of emotional energy to sit there and hoard all of that information and not apply it. But what can be done? Join us to talk education access, justice reform, mental health, and financial freedom at the Real Talk Drives Real Change conversation series. Hosted by Mike Muse, the first event kicks off on June 26th in D.C. And the conversation continues in Atlanta, Philly, and Houston. To get more info, free tickets, stream live, or for more resources, visit change.news1.com. Thank you to Chevrolet for joining our journey, inspiring conversation and for sponsoring these episodes. Head to change.newsone.com onecom to find out how they're driving real change in our communities.